You're listening to The One Room with a View Show. With Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Welcome to the One Room with a View show with me, Christopher Preston, and joining my coalition of chaos, it's Mr. Dan Alton, Member of Parliament. <laughs> yes, we begin Brexit negotiations next week. The Queen's speech is drying. These summer podcasts, and this is the first of this year's summer podcasts, are beginning to feel more and more <laughs> ill-fated. Every time we do a first summer podcast now, yeah. something politically horrendous happens. It was only this time last year that we did the, you know, quite uh, what, our well, ironic Brexit, yeah, Independence yeah. Day take. Just, we just voted to live. That feels so long ago. Mm. Yeah. Actually, no, no, but a lot's I mean, happened in the last 12 I, months. Yes. My goodness. Time flies when politics in this country are falling apart. <laughs> Talking um, of falling apart, <laughs> what's happening on uh, today's special, Dan? <laughs> today's special is, is it's all Edgar Wright. Yeah. An ode to... This is our alt-right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the man who nearly directed Ant-Man, but has directed so many other things that we're going to be talking about today. We're essentially just going to go through his back catalogue of film, feature film releases, I should point out. I know that he obviously has directed a lot of television. Spaced. And a few, yep, spaced, and a few shorts here and there. But we and are music fo- videos I think he's done as well. We are focusing on his, oh, one, two, three, four, five, his, his six to date directorial efforts in the feature film biz from his directorial debut in 1995, A Fistful of Fingers, right up until this year's just, well, upcoming at the time of recording. It will be out this week, um, yeah. Baby Driver, which is a... Is, and, the, and what a what a scope there is in between. I, I feel like we're going to be traversed. It's, these summer specials are always kind of a bit like backpacking through cinema. I kind of always love it. I, I will say it's probably the hottest day of the year today. Uh, London is seemingly falling down around our ears. We're recording um, with the window open, mm. so if you hear the sort of natural sounds... Of, if you hear booing. leafy clapping... <laughs> If you hear any protests... Yeah, that's all to do with what's going May on politically. Out. <laughs> so very quickly, should we describe what the summer specials are, or are we just cracking them well, up? Yeah, we can do a quick recap if we like. Yeah, yeah well, we do. We were a monthly podcast. We obviously went bi-monthly uh, at the beginning of this season, but we like to kind of round off... Although each... I think that's a bit haphazard, isn't it? Yeah, sort of... that's on and off. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the coalition of chaos can, right you know, there, yeah. Can. Uh, but we like to finish off the season with a series of summer podcasts, don't we? Mm. Uh, and they're always centric something. So this month's Edgar Wright, next month will be something else, and the following month will be yes. something else. Rather than the usual some film old, some film new, and a few games and other features. We abandon in, all of we, them. We throw them out, and and we get on with, as you say, focusing on individual set of films. Or a theme or something like that. Edgar Wright, it's your lucky day. Should we crack on? Let's. Okay, fistful of fingers then. Yes, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. So yeah. nine, the year is 1995. Edgar Wright is a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> the Conservatives are in government, and uh, a Labour Party is going struggles well. together to uh, form an opposition. John Major's majority is falling apart. <laughs> the, Tories are, the Tories are looking to make a deal with the Irish. It's all <laughs> yeah. very familiar. Ground. <laughs> yeah, and amongst a, it a, all, a, a popular Labour leader. <laughs> Yeah, as, begin as to emerge and rise. <laughs> so yeah, the A Fistful of Fingers. It's a, a well, a pseudo remake of a film that Edgar Wright made whilst he was in school, and this does feel like a, almost kind of a, a university style student film effort, doesn't it? Yes, but it's. I mean, I think it's really good. <laughs> what should we tell? Is there a plot to it? There kind of is a plot. The plot there? is. It's a. It really it's a is. It's, it's well, a it's a scary movie version of a western, isn't it? 
like in terms of scary movie, the pastiche vehicles where they take the mickey out of everything. Yes. This is kind yeah, of yeah, almost yeah. like a cowboy Well, I was going to say, yeah, I, I've got that in my notes of it regarding it. There's a there's more than a, a hint of... More than a fistful. Uh, more than a fistful of airplane and blazing saddles in here. In Definitely. Terms of the the yeah. approach of humour. Um, but yeah, we've got, to, we've got to hear a sort of spoof of Western... IMDb says it's a Western... A comic Western, I think they put it as. Sure. Uh, we have the man of no name, sort of, you know, this young actor impersonating Clint Eastwood. And on the poster, he's the hand with no name, but I don't think that that necessarily <laughs> crosses over to the film, but yeah. And he's looking for an, he's looking for another guy, he's looking to, to duel this man called the Squint. Yeah, I thought that they'd lost out on Squint Eastwood there. I thought that, that would have been a great... Um, who is played by another young man with a ridiculous fake moustache? But they're all his mates, aren't they? And I think they've gone on to be like costume design. They've got. They. I don't think anyone's necessarily gone on to act necessarily no. again, or maybe well, a couple of. Well, I'm them. not sure. I know that his his brother Oscar, who is credited in Fistful of Fingers as um, responsible for the animation, the animated credit sequence, oh, cool. and the animated um, Indian story sequence halfway through. Yeah, he's gone on to he he did special effects for. Scott Pilgrim. Oh, cool. So, so there's, Oscar a, there's is, a lovely yeah. tapestry then. Um, hey, excellent. So there is that. But we'll get on to it. So, yeah, this, this cowboy is looking for a, he's looking for a guy to, to fight. He finds him. They duel. The bad guy kills our hero's horse. Yeah, easy. Easy the horse. Um, <clears throat> and... <laughs> That's kind of like halfway between one of those wooden horses that you rode yeah. as a kid and a rubber ring. It's a, it's it's a ridiculous kind of, prop. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, if you... Listeners, when I talk, it, it conjures up images of Monty Python and the coconuts. It is. It's the, um, this is one of the silliest films I think I've ever seen. So he vows revenge. I mean, I, you know, a renewed revenge, because I think he was looking for revenge. I think he was looking for revenge. Initially. Revenge squared, I think he's yeah. done. Yeah. So now he's going to seek, uh, you know, avenge the death of his, his horse. Uh, we, we go from there. It is, it is a... And from there it is, it's just... It's a silly Western film. It's a, an ode to spaghetti westerns. Filmed in the West Country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by Edgar Wright. <laughs> by Edgar Wright and a bunch of people in, in, a bunch in of cowboy mates, out. A bunch of mates. Yeah. It's good fun. There is a lot, you know, having seen all of Wright's other films, mm. you can see this is very much... This is the acorn. This is the acorn from which the oak of, of the Cornetto trilogy and, and everything, you know, maybe not so much Baby Driver... For, for tonal reasons, but, but certainly, certainly that Simon kind of... Simon Pegg stuff. You know, all the Simon Pegg stuff. Egg right here, even here at the very beginning, shows such a flair for visual comedy. I was going to say he's actually one of the quick, quick gags. Yeah, I was, he's one of the best directors working, at, like quite possibly ever, in terms of being able to realise that visual comedy, like the uh, the cut gags and everything that's up on the screen, the slapstick and stuff like that. He's all very, very knowing. Yeah. But it, it, as you said, he's exactly like Airplane. It's got the wordplay. It's got the sillier sides. Things like that constantly. Yeah, a few. I mean, there's a few standout bits. Because um, it only runs for seventy eight minutes, doesn't it? Yeah, very very quick. It's very quick, very well paced. Um, in most, I mean, I think it lags a little bit in the on the actual quest side before he finds before he finds Squint again for, for the final showdown. But there are there's enough there are enough visual gags and quick fire humor in there to keep you entertained. I was laughing out loud. I didn't think I would. I thought I'd watch this and think, oh God, this is some awful student film. It's going to be, you know, mm. just terrible. But it's not. I was laughing aloud at a lot of moments. There's a great gag with, um, when they're on, on the edge of a cliff and there's a sign that says edge of cliff. And then it, the camera pans until it reaches another sign that says 
edge of frame and it has to stop yeah. and goes back to the ring. He constantly edge. does like break the fourth wall and things like that, yeah. doesn't it? It's like when he uh, he first meets the Indian kind of sidekick and uh, they they are starting to chat and he's there like, this is going really badly, let's do yeah. that again. It just goes, take two. Take two and, yeah. the and, and then board. the ending, of course, is just pure Monty Python a Holy Grail, uh, you know, I don't want to give it away. Yeah, there's, there's a great, a great cameo. cameo. <laughs> yeah, for British people, you're, the, there's an excellent For, for British people of a certain age. Yeah. I think anyone sort of... In, no millennials. No millennials are going to get one. Well, we millenn- we're millennials, are, are we? we? I think we are. I don't know what is a, what is a millennial. <laughs> the ones below millennials, whoever they are. The oh, generation, we're, we're generation Y. We're 90s kids, surely. I don't know. I don't know. Email podcast that one. Let us know what generation are we. If we can work out how to use email, maybe we'll uh, we'll reply. (laughs) But yeah, people people of a certain age are going to appreciate that that cameo. And I mean, what a coup for a student film. And and that's the wonderful thing. This guy was big in 1995. Back in 1995, he was was God. He was a walking (laughs) God. (laughs) And he was God in the form of a television personality. (laughs) Uh, But for £15,000, I think, you know, you can see everything. I, I... don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you. I think it's more of a bag of jokes and ideas that wrestles around for 78 minutes. I do feel like there are some certain several large lags to it. Yeah, and no, it doesn't have the emotional finesse of his later films. Uh, I think that he must have gone away, made spaced, come back to filmmaking as someone who's far more mature. Yeah. This is someone still but, definitely learning his craft. And that's fine. I think yeah, you absolutely. take it. I mean, this is certainly, a, this is someone who's... It's yeah, a 20-year-old making film, a film. He's experimenting. Makes. He's been given, the, you know, he has this money mm. um, to make a film. You know, he obviously, he, he wrote the script with, he co-wrote the script, you know, and he has a, he has a cameo. Um, uh, two cameos, two in fact, cameos. actually. Yeah, he's a voiceover in it as well. Um and, and you, you, his can mate, see, mate. you can see him. You can see what he. As I say there's stuff here. Like there's just the early outlines of of stuff you see later on. And Graham Lowe, who plays the the hero, does a, he does a bang on job of a Clint Eastwood impression. Yes, there's someone who's probably from you know Dorset or somewhere. He, he it really is a great. Crack and in. I mean, yeah. And there are there are great variations in the acting ability throughout the film. <laughs> And indeed, the attempts at an American accent. Yeah, definitely, yeah. There's a few. There's a few dud moments. I, I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the the the, uh, the homosexual jokes regarding the Clark have aged particularly well. There are some, uh, yeah, and even the stuff with the Native American or like well, I suppose we call Indian because they do. I think even that in twenty years has has, yes. <laughs> has aged kind of badly. Yes. You know, in, in perhaps the political climate there is that we a, live in now. There yeah, is little... the, the, the Native Americans are played by white what, actors. Yeah, it's in, red face, it's, isn't it? It's essentially what red what face. Call, yeah. um, but done, I, I mean, it is again knowing. They only, literally it is red face. The rest of their body, the rest of the guy's white. body, is just, is just done, done, done without makeup. I think it's just his hands and his, um, his um, face, yeah. But yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> but ultimately... It's the start. It's the start of something, and it's. I would. I, I would tell people, you know, go go and find it and watch it and see what you. It's difficult to find. I will say yeah. that. Um, but it is out there if you search the right places online. And Prince Charles Cinema, who actually premiered. I thought you were going to say Prince Charles. Was it, was <laughs> the patron, yeah. yeah. He stumped up the fifteen grand. <laughs> it was. Uh, it, it it often does play at the PCC. It well, it plays sporadically at the PCC. They were the. Uh, the really. They were the cinema that did the premiere back in nineteen ninety five. So there's still a fondness for them for this very studenty, yeah. as we said, acorn affair with Edgar Wright. But no, it's good. It, it's a it's well worth a watch. Um, Bob's. 
Three bob, I think. I'm good for two, and I know that sounds harsh. It's funny and enjoyable, but it's not something that I would ever watch again. It lags too much <laughs> for me, and it, it is more just um, it's a bag of jokes rather than an actual film. I think it, it lacks something that Wright does so well later on. That two bob, you know, remember when I gave the governor a two bob and I yes. was slightly reticent at, of well, it? Well, at your peril. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly, I became a marked man for the rest of my life. There's certain pubs in London that I'm just no longer allowed to go into. I do shudder every time I walk past the Hippodrome in uh, Leicester Square now. Uh, but yeah, it, as I said, it, it's an enjoyable bag of ideas, but it's not necessarily a film per se. Mm. No, yeah. fair enough. But I think, you know, I don't know, I've had a bad week. I could, I, I could do with that bag of jokes. Sure. Moving on to probably the piece de resistance, I suppose, the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. The stuff that Wright, no doubt, will be forever remembered. Forever, yeah, forever remembered, forever associated with him and Peg and Nick Frost. And Nick Frost, yeah. Uh, you know, so 2004, Shaun of the Dead. They've just come off the back of, well, a, a Space ended in 2001. This is the kind of uh, pseudo spin off to Space, isn't it? Because Shaun of the Dead is uh, the kernel of the idea came from a spaced episode. Mm. And they they have kind of tinkered and blown it up and turned it into a feature length. Yeah. Another pastiche of another genre. Yes. They call it a... Is it a zom-rom-com? Zom-rom-com, like yeah. yeah. Zombie romantic comedy, romantic zombie... Whatever. It, it, it's... I mean, first off, it's very funny. So, yeah, with, with 2004, he's, he's, uh, he's just directed or, or, uh, two series of spaced... Which are brilliant, by the way. You should definitely check them out. They are excellent. And this is his... This is the thing that people first begin to notice. No one's seen A Fistful of Fingers, really. No. Well, the right people have seen it, because he's now, you know, he got into The right family. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Uh, (laughs) But not everyone has seen... Yeah. But but Shaun of the Dead is the thing that... And I think it came out, I think it was 2004, another year, where we had a a sort of Night of the Dead. or I think there was a resurgence of zombie films. So this was seen as a kind of... I think maybe the the Zack Schneider one came out around that time. Yeah. Was it a remake of the Drew good. It was good timing. It wasn't long after that Nick Frost... It was before, we should say, the massive zombie zeitgeist stuff where we've got The Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff out now. This was certainly before that. And I think there was... I don't know, that you know, spoof films like that had but good spoof good films. Spoof films. Yeah. Not, you know, I mean, and scary movie is good, but the other ones all are. The, the ones they've done since have all been absolute drops. Oh, yeah, have they done? <laughs> Tell me next season's podcast, I suppose. Challenge Chris. <laughs> oh, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you bloody dare. I'm still reeling after the scorpion. Um, and here we have this sort of... It's such an original, original idea, I think, that, that how ordinary people... British. Ordinary, ordinary British, British people, people in a suburb of North London yeah. might cope. With a, the, a global outbreak of zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And it's brilliant. It is excellent. And it's probably one of the best examples of screenwriting that I can think of. I can't think really of of many better technical scripts than Shaun of the Dead. How everything yeah. follows that, that wonderful sequence at the beginning where him and... Well, should we do the plot first and then I'll talk oh, about yeah, that yeah. part? So it is what you just said. It's normal British people coping with um, a full-on zombie apocalypse. Arguably two specific ordinary British people. And I think we're definitely playing fast and loose with normal there, inverted commas. <laughs> Simon Pegg plays Sean, a, an electronic shop salesman who is... That's a junior manager, isn't he? <laughs> something like that, yeah. So on certain days, I think, perhaps. Uh, who is at the precipice of this <laughs> existential awakening, perhaps. Yes. Um, he's 30, he's isn't he? Or he's 29. About to turn 30, he's up, yeah. yeah. 
he still lives with... Important age. He lives in this kind of house share with at least one paying tenant and <laughs> one who has just been on the sofa for the last couple of years. He lives with the always great Peter Serafinovitz. Yeah, excellent. And, <laughs> as uh, and the always great Nick Frost as yeah. Ed. Ed, his... his, his Accomplice. Uh, accomplice. His 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 layabout, uh, you know, la- yeah, lazy, good for nothing, school friend who you know doesn't. Who remains very much the school friend. He beginning of the film season break up with his girlfriend, Liz. Uh, Liz played by Kate Ashfield, and then the zombie apocalypse happens, and he wants to get Liz back, survive the zombie zombie apocalypse, and live happily, and ever, live ever, happily after. ever after. Yeah. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, and it and it really does. And what I was going to say is, there's that wonderful sequence at the beginning where Liz dumps him. They go and get drunk in the pub together in the immortal Winchester, yes. who, who basically is a character it, like in it yeah, in yeah. of itself. And the whole plot is marvelously laid out by Ed's character. And he's like, right, we'll go for a bite here. We'll go for a Bloody Mary. Have a couple, yeah, we'll stuff. have a Bloody Mary. A couple yeah. of Bloody Marys in the morning, and then a bite, yeah. and then all this kind of stuff. And it, it is actually the film, isn't it? And it's little kind of quirks yeah. like that. But you see that. He has that in all in, in the whole Conetto trilogy. They all, mm. I mean, this is great to we've having watched them all now in the last week for yeah. in preparation for the podcast. Seeing them all in quick succession, it's so it, it, it's almost funnier to see them like that and mm. to see jokes that are repeated. You know, they kind of the the, the, the fence gag that appears in every, all three of the films. Yeah, that as you mentioned, this technical writing, the writing moments of script where. Plots, the plot is laid out for you, or hints are made. Mm. Um, and it's just so technically tight in you know, that way, isn't it? It's that very imaginative. There's know, no fat on It shows an a incredible level of... I don't know, it's just, it's just very clever. It's very imaginative from and, Edgar Wright. And, 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 and Simon Pegg, I should say, wrote co-wrote with, with Edgar Wright. And that word that three. you said about in Fistful of Fingers, the knowingness. They know that Edgar Wright knows his craft. He knows the genre back-to-back. Yes. Like, every which way. And he's able to mine that so heavily for jokes in a far more controlled fashion than a fistful of fingers, where it just feels like everything and the scene, uh, the kitchen yeah, yeah, sink yeah. is thrown at the screen. This has an emotional depth to it as well. Okay, yes, I agree. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. The script is a lot tighter. The plot is is good because it's basic, than... isn't it? You know, it's a, but they don't play too. It's survive the zombie apocalypse. Yes. Going for a pint. For going for, let's go to the Winchester. <laughs> Uh, you know, get a pint. Should we give plots to the other two and then perhaps speak about them as a whole? Yeah, because I was going to say, there's a lot to sort of talk about with them all together and, yeah. and you talk about him, how he knows the genre and that, that again, lays, is laid out in the following two films. So, rounding out the Cornetto trilogy, we have uh, Hot, Fuzz. Hot Fuzz in 2007 and then finally The World's End in 2013. Yeah, I'm yeah, surprised at how big a gap there mm. was actually. I suppose that's because they both became much more famous and... Yes, well, things. Simon Pegg went and did Mission Impossible and Star Trek in between, in, in between the, the two, you know, in between Hot That's still an amazing and, thing to think that Simon Pegg is now basically a credible action star. <laughs> That's still strange to me. All down to Hot Fuzz. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah Hot Fuzz, that is... So where Shaun of the Dead was this sort of uh, spoof zombie Anglo film. Take on, Anglo, yeah. Hot Fuzz is a... A, a spoof, if you were. A spoof feels like a, a, a derogatory term. Pastiche, 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 yeah. Let's say pastiche, even that makes us sound incredibly yeah. pretentious. It's a pastiche of American action films. And, like buddy kind yeah. of action And they even, like, I mean, as I say, going back to that whole stuff. knowing thing, they even talk about how, you know, they, they, they lampoon bad boys in the film and they mm. talk about bad boys as a film. And Point Break, there's a whole um, sequence that yeah. they lift directly <laughs> from it and things, don't they? Straight. So but all is, in these beautifully wonderful West Country yeah, I was going to say, it, it, in a small town in, in Gloucestershire, it's supposed to be. Village um, of the year, <laughs> ten years in a row or whatever it is. 
So yeah, in Hot Fuzz, Simon Pegg's character, he finally seems to play, you know, as opposed to the other two, this is Simon Pegg playing a, a good guy. He is a hero, although so good is he at his job mm. as a metropolitan police officer, he is shunted out to this small village of Sandford, so he is still a loser. To make the men uh, look make, better, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Maybe he's just too good at his job, so they, they, they shift him off out to the countryside where he actually uncovers a huge... There's a there's a there's a killing spree and a huge village wide conspiracy. That <laughs> village wide, <laughs> all, all twenty of them are involved, <laughs> and it, it plays out like like an action. It's like a, and then and again, it's so many things. Edgar Wright lifts Wright lifts so many things from various different films. Yeah, and, and it's they made I, one of the things I love about Hot Fuzz is that when Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright were writing it, they they were using Roger Ebert's book on action movie cliches like he wrote a, like a bible about this is all these are yeah. all the cliches and, and that's how we did this podcast and, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and they went through that book specifically so that they could use every single one of oh, those brilliant. cliches well that's what i love about these films uh particularly the first two is because they might i don't know what you would say is it microwise like everything don't they they take everything that was so big yeah and then just shove it all into a village or they turn these kind of huge global catastrophes and turn it into, well, let's go to the pub instead. And I, I think that's something that only Brit- British people can do. It's that very British sense of humour. Yes. You know, it, as I said, like, this is the end, the Seth Rogen film, and Shaun of the Dead aren't worlds apart in what they try and do. But this mm. is the end. Feels so much more massive and flabby for it. I don't. Think, I, I just don't think American films can help that versus British films. Mm. That you know, there's a sense of. I mean, I was talking to an American friend of mine recently who was saying she only lives. You know, she was saying Atlanta's great because she only lives six hours from the beach. Mm. And I was like, for us, Edinburgh, we get to Edinburgh, Edinburgh, <laughs> we, to a we, different get, country we get to that. Scotland in six hours. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, if I want to go to the beach, it's a, like it's forty-five minutes on the train. Yeah. to the coast. But that, like, and you well, think, and, and Americans think six-hour six-hour drive is a reasonable drive to get to the it's beach. It's funny about how I work with Canadians, and they say exactly the same thing. They're like, our can our neighbours five hours away, not five hours. I wouldn't go and see anyone five hours away. <laughs> I'm telling you now, there's not a person yeah. on this earth I would travel so five hours. You know, there's something about living on this very, you know, on this small island. Yeah. in, in you know, on the edge of the Atlantic. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> that seems to get smaller um, by the day. Quite, quite. Uh, yeah, and, and and Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg mine that very well in these in these three films. It goes off a bit on the... Well, let's talk that, about the plot for World's End. Then. Yeah, so the World's well. End, Simon Pegg's back to playing a loser, but mm. it's a bit... It's he a, plays it's, the Nick Frost role in this, though, Yeah, it's he? an interesting... It's an inversion of interesting that. Interesting switch. Nick I'm Frost not is the straight man in this. He's always the... the he, Peg plays the straight man in the first two so well, and in this one, he's the much more bombastic, outwardly comic character. Yeah. Nick Frost is the straight man. This so this film revolves. Trying to sort of put this into a nutshell, a group of old school friends led by Simon Pegg's Gary King, who, who was sort of the you know the, uh, cock of the walk in school, yeah. but hasn't really moved on from that. After that, you know his life his life has not panned out how he hoped it would. After this one particular yeah. evening, isn't it? And it's the last day of school, yeah, isn't the it? The last day of school, they all go out to try and do the what they call it, they call it the Royal Mile or something. The, the Golden Mile. Golden Mile. The Golden Mile. Where they do uh, pint at twelve different pubs around the the, the town they live in. They don't complete the, the 12. Yeah, they got to number 10 or something, didn't they? Is it? I think it's even it? less than that, I think. Yeah, they, somewhere around they, yeah, they, they don't get. They don't complete it. They lose, you know, a couple of the guys get too drunk along the way. Something awful happens and they all go their separate ways for years and years and years. We fast forward to the beginning of the film. 
Gary King years later. Gary King decides to get the gang back together, go back and complete the Golden Mile, and then they him and choose. And they, well, they fight, they they go they go along, and actually find out loads of people are dead, and there's a town wide conspiracy. In <laughs> yeah, and they're um, and they've been taken over by some kind of zombie esque robots. <laughs> yeah, the World's End does feel very much like the first two kind of squished into a film, doesn't it? I think in some ways it feels like it does lift a lot from Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and turns it into a sci-fi kind of film. I certainly think it's the weakest of the three. It's definitely the weakest um, of the three. But and I, and I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this all week as, as to why... I mean, I, script is still good. It's good, but, but it's not great. Yeah, I mean, there's something, there's something missing from the script. I don't know if that switching of Egg and Frost that in the straight man role, it, it, it feels off. Especially when they try to sort of, as you say, that there's so many references to, to the other two films, and you just think, you know, if you're going to, you know, everyone says it's the unofficial Cornetto trilogy, isn't it? You know, it's three flavors trilogy or whatever that people call it. But I don't know, there's something about I don't it know. It was originally I, called the Ice Cream on I Dodge trilogy. Yeah, um, that, yeah. I don't know if maybe Edgar Wright doesn't have as big a grasp or, you know, on the sci fi genre, which it seems unfair to say because actually him and Peg are, you know, self confessed nerds and know a lot about the sci-fi genre. So I don't know what it is about this particular, that particular film that, 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 that makes it not work. I Maybe it is the, the introduction of it actually being a global thing. They, you know, they, they tried to you know, put it in a microcosm as the last, in the, as village. the previous two in the town, but actually, actually it's not. This film thinks it's, be- it, it's better than it actually is. World's End, or The World's End, rests on its laurels so much more than the other two. Shaun of the Dead is probably the one that everyone is the go-to Edgar Wright film. It's the one that everyone thinks of when they think of Peg and Wright and Frost. I think Hot Fuzz is probably a better film. I was going to say, Hot Fuzz is my favourite of all of the films we're going to talk about And I think it's a little bit of that we're born, we live, we die kind of thing. You know, like, Hot Fuzz is everything. It's the apex of that relationship and everything's great. I don't think they could ever top it. And that's what the world's end is. It's almost like that kind of finishing the trilogy by numbers. It definitely falls mm. foul of the threequel curse. You know how everyone says yeah, that there yeah. can never be a, a third good film. But I do think it comes across as it's very... It, it's, it's, a, it's quite an arrogant film for me. You know, there are only parts of it where I genuinely enjoy... I think Eddie Marsden's character is excellent, Peter. Yes. He's the one who used to get bullied at school. And yeah, he's yeah, yeah. kind of the weaker link of the... the his little arc that he goes on is actually quite wonderful and really beautifully acted. But then you've got, like, is it Paddy Considine's yeah, and, yeah. Um, and Martin that. Freeman's uh, character are just kind of left on the side a little bit. It still holds on to this central relationship between Frost and Peg's characters, which does feel a little bit ham-fisted as well. And I don't think... The one thing I... I hadn't seen this film. I, I watched this film once a few years ago. In the cinema? Uh, no, no, I got it... I got it um, on DVD in the end, I missed it in the cinema. Eventually got it on DVD and watched it. Didn't my big criticism at the time was that I didn't feel like Gary King actually goes on any sort of journey. Mm. He's still the same, even more so. He's, at the end, isn't he? He's even what you know. It feels you know. He starts off as this person who hasn't moved on from high school, and ends the film. Spoiler alert. Hanging out with the high school versions, the high school versions of, of, of his friends, but they're all robots as well, and he yeah. knows they are, and he, he knows they're not human, even though he craves this human interaction because he's isolated, isn't he? He's got nothing, and he just holds yeah. on to He these starts memories. off isolated, he ends isolated. He's still, I don't think he, he hasn't learned anything. There, there, there's <laughs> Sean uh, improves his life, um, there's a definite arc there at the end of Sean of the Dead. He's in the living room, he's got Liz, Liz back, and you know. 
uh, although I feel a bit sorry for Liz because she seems to sort of have settled for actually the very thing she was trying to avoid. But we, she... we assume that but, this is know, Sean 2.0. Yeah, now, yeah, don't yeah, we? yeah. Like he's getting his life back together a little bit. And so there's, there's hope there. That's nice. Uh, Nick Angel, his character in, in Hot Fuzz, you know, he decides to stay in Sanford and... As the sheriff of Sanford, and... <laughs> most, isn't he? And he, he kind of... He's loosened up a bit. He's yeah. not as, you know, he's not as he's tight. That great he's not as tightly wound as he was at the Frost beginning. Stanny. You know, he you see, you know, there's a he joins in with the, the jokes and the banter of this small crew of, of his in in the police station, and he's learned something. You know, Nicholas Angel has learned, uh, you know, to, to to not be so tightly wound, and that actually he doesn't have to. You know, there's more to policing than all this paperwork. Than his little notebook. Than his little notebook. Uh, Gary King is a deeply unlikable character mm. and doesn't stop being a deeply unlikable character and there aren't, the other characters aren't interesting enough to distract you from and there's that just fact. too many of them you know and and i'll be honest it, it really suffers from that picaresque nature like with the other two they are complete films they've got these objectives you know like mm. right, we've got to survive the zombie apocalypse we've got to blow apart this conspiracy this one boils down to we've got to go and drink 12 pints and the the sheer amount of pubs you lose all track of it. And I know that there's that funny joke of like how everything's been gentrified and all of the pubs are actually filmed in the same pub, aren't they? So they all look more or less the same. So or on, it's only the first, it's first two, I think, oh, is isn't it? it? I and think it's the, that... the first three, at oh, least, okay. I think. But, uh, and I, I think that's quite knowing everything. But how many times can you just sit and watch Simon Pegg and his mates drink a pint and kind of have a bit of a fight? And it, I feel like the whole conspiracy thing and the robots, that comes far too late. It's ended poorly. I, ne- I never feel like the world's end is a complete package. It feels very flabby and mm. no, you're right. It, and... Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, there's still, as I say, there's still elements of it that they, they, you've still got. They still throw in the fence gag. Yeah, and there's still little bits in the film that, if you actually watch closely, that you they make. You know, they actually spell out what's going to happen. Yeah, Bill Nye's at the, at the end. Yeah, Bill, Nye, Bill, Nye, cameo. Bill Nye cameos. Um, uh, there's a lot of returning cast members. It's sort of like you know, it's like a little bit of a gang and. You've got the you've got that script moment with all the pubs. The names of the pubs correspond with what actually goes on at each of the pubs, which is another little clip. You know, Edgar Wright kind of throwing in again the OCDness, yeah. There's a bit of this magic, this spark of imagination that he has. I don't it could have been missed by any other writer. Mm. Um, but yeah, it all, it all, it falls short. You're right. I think it is, there's there's a lot going on. It's flabby, too much. too much. They don't get to the sci-fi bit quickly enough. And um, I think it's just... Out of, suddenly suddenly the stakes are huge. But that's what I was going to say. It blows out of all proportion. And, it, and as I say, there is just an arrogance with that, the emotional aspect of it. It never really minds it far enough. I think it, it wants to say something about this. It, it reminded me a little bit in something bizarrely of Trainspotting 2, T2 hmm. Trainspotting 2, is that it's trying to be quite eloquent about this man-boy syndrome that ends up happening and about how we look back at this precipice between childhood and adulthood and the and the divinity between that those times and how poetic it is. And actually, we wake up one day and we're 40 years old and having these massive existential crises but it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like the right vehicle for it. Do you think they came back after doing? You know, they. You know, Peg went on and did his things in Hollywood, and and Edgar Wright went and did Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which we'll talk about shortly. Do you think they came back from Hollywood spoiled? Yeah, definitely. And, and so the sort I of definitely think the kind of microcosm of those first quintessential two Britishness is lost. Is lost because they've actually. I think been... they became uh, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> I think. I think it's the idea of going out to Hollywood. Being the kind of kooky Brits that have gone out there who've made these Shaun of the Dead yeah, and yeah, Hot yeah. Fuzz things, got an indie credibility, sold that out 
more so pegged than right to the to the Hollywood machine mm. and being tainted by it. And I actually think Simon, and I, this is awful, but I think Simon Pegg as a persona became a lot more unlikable between Hot Fuzz mm. and The World's End. I know there was all that Twitter controversy and he ended up leaving because of that and everything. And as if you go back to the Mission Impossible uh, podcast, I always feel like Simon Pegg's Benji is the worst <laughs> aspect of those films. I do yeah. think that World's End shows that they got spoiled by the American machine. Because, mm. I mean, there's something, so Shaun of the Dead is just quintessentially British. Hot Fuzz is so British that, you know, Americans don't get the title. Yeah, I you think know. that there is a real... Really? I, mean, I, I, I don't want to insult every American. No, but... of course not. But there is there is something that was made purely for that spaced audience, yeah. whereas World's End feels arguably the most mainstream of those films. And I quite liked the fact they were carving this little niche out for themselves with the Cornetto trilogy. Even the fact it's called a Cornetto trilogy, which I think yes. is still a very British thing, you know. Yeah, uh, but... Anyway, I think we talked a lot about, a lot about the world's end there, mm. and rightly so. I don't. I, we've both said the hot fuzz is our favourite. I don't think we've talked. I mean, I just want to sort of give hot fuzz some love because Let's give some hot fuzz some love. It, it is. I mean, just one of the most hilarious films, and it goes back to that decade. tightness. I think, isn't it? Because I'm yeah. about to the tightness of Shaun of the Dead. It's that discipline with the screenwriting, except they bring this kind of macabre Agatha Christie mystery yeah. to it. I think the, the Guardian sort of described it as as. Um, Oh, like Bad Boys meets Miss Marple. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. I love that. Or um, more, more Bad Boys meets Midsummer Murders. I think. <laughs> yeah, there is. That would be my, my. Where's Barnaby when you need him? It's just. I mean, it's it's endlessly quotable, and I won't go into that now because we'll be here for. We'll just end up quoting it constantly. But it, endlessly, the cast is brilliant, and it's just. But even it, the casting is so clever. You cast an old James Bond as as the villain. the villain and, and Timothy Dalton's excellent in this film as he's well. having an absolute ball you can tell the hound um, is in it isn't he yarp yarp yarp, yarp. You, um, all these actors from films or whose careers have been associated with sinister Sunday Night elements, Dramas sinister elements uh, you know Edward Woodward from The Wicker Man is in it um Oh, yeah, I forgot he's yeah. in it. Yeah, and it's like, well, that's perfect. You're, you've got a film here about a you know a sinister village where something odd is going on, and that so, people and, don't and really come to. An, outs- an outsider policeman is trying to solve it. And you've got Edward Woodward in the film. Oh Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I wish you just played him, <laughs> Re- reincarnated. Um, I mean, I do think watching again, I wonder did what did at any point did they approach Christopher Lee? For a role, quite possibly, it, you, know, you feel like he would have fitted in perfectly. Billy Whitelaw from from uh, from The Omen is yeah. it as this is this insane and it's that uh, encyclopedic guest house, but it's that encyclopedic knowledge of cinema that they demonstrate so superbly yeah. in Shaun of the Precisely. Dead, replicated again to to larger effect. You know, yeah. it's that kind of rule of any television or se- or any television series or movie sequels that you have to raise the stakes, and they do. But then it just becomes outlandish in the world's end. But that's why I think Hot Fuzz is so excellent. It's the Dark Knight of the trilogy, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's the Dark Knight trilogy, or the Superman two, or the Godfather Part two of yeah. the Cornetto trilogy. It just really, it, it it's so I, I find and how it everything revolves to... around the Summerfields, that kind of that ninety <laughs> supermarket. <laughs> a supermarket that, that I don't think that doesn't exist anymore. I'm not sure it does. I I, or if it's... it does, it's only it's like CNA. You know those kind of things that <laughs> I, when Dan and I met at university next. Though was the yeah. only city in. 
the world that still had a CNA in it down the bottom of uh, the high street. And I'm sure I'm, they're probably using Summerfields in Exeter. I'm probably used Possibly, to the West yeah. Country kind of style thing. I think the, the last British and a slasher of prices. Oh, lock me up. <laughs> lock me up. Uh, him, get... dri- him driving past each crime scene with his radio playing a song that has to do Perfectly with ma- the, yeah, exactly, with the yeah. murder. Yeah. <laughs> Smiling and grinning Just, about yeah. it. Such a tragedy. And to see that ultraviolence that is, is kind of really infused in all of, or certainly aspects of Edgar mm. Wright's, the fact that they bring that, you know, this poor man whose head explodes because of a gargoyle of a church comes <laughs> loose and things like that is wonderful. Anyway, I think we should probably get to Bob's. Yes. Shaun of the Dead? Four. Four, Bob. I'm going to go five Shaun of the Dead. Okay. I still think it's brilliant. And as I say, we were talking about very loosely earlier about the Empire's top 100 films, and I think it sparked a larger discussion about, you know, films that are technically brilliant versus films that you love. And there are films that I can admire from a technical level that I just got nothing out of. Yeah. Um, but Shaun of the Dead ticks both those boxes. It's both an excellently crafted movie, whilst it's a film that I really adore at the same time. So it's a, an out-and-out five for me. Is it, yeah, that's fair enough. I'm giving it four. For, I mean, I love it. And, and but I think the you're, same reasons, a relative I, four, isn't it? It's a relative four, because I'm saving my five. Four. Yeah. My five Bob film. I can't remember the last time I gave five Bob to a film on this podcast. Yeah, a difficult man to please. Hot fuzz. I mean, yeah. I honestly love this film. It's another five it's for another, me and, as and, well. And as you say, this is a film which is is both incredibly enjoyable and technically perfect. Excellent. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Absolutely. I find it difficult to find any fault with Hot Fuzz whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I agree. I'm gonna. My, my, this is a stronger five than this is a, <laughs> a uh, five. yeah. This is a, a, relative diesel, five. a diesel fueled five. It, I, I like. I think this is a better film than Shaun of the Dead, but it, it, and a, another strong five mm. for me. Which is a shame to then give The World's End. Well, I'm <laughs> somewhere between a two and a three. Yeah. On a good day, I'm going to give it a three. On a bad day, I'm going to give it a two. I will give it a three overall. Yeah, I think I agree. It's a, it's a so, it's still a solid film, but against you know against those other two, which it is will be forever associated. I mean, for goodness' sake, I've got the box set up on my shelf. I did notice come, that earlier. They all yeah. come together. It's so forgettable it, compared to the first two. You know, there's no real quotable nature to it. It's certainly not something that there's no real kind of. The Godfather you know, Part Three. Of... It is the Godfather Part Three, which again is not a bad film, but relative to the first two. Yeah, yeah. But there you go. You've got red on you, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Edgar Wright's Hollywood machine. Yeah. So he did Shaun of the Dead. And then I think think the studio just said, well, you can do whatever you want next. And so he did Hot Fuzz. Mm. And that was a lot of fun. And And they were like, wow, this man can direct. It's like, right, you know, go and do something in America now. Go Um, forth to Hollywood, my son. (laughs) And and what we get is Scott Pilgrim versus the World, based on a series of uh, graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, a Canadian man uh, of of great talent. Have you read the, those? No, I've only I, I haven't read them all. I've seen a friend of mine had a couple of them, and I skipped you, through them. Yeah, I, I <laughs> but I very much saw the film first. And I will say, full disclosure, I've not seen Scott Pilgrim versus the World since 2010 when it came out in cinema. Full disclosure from me, I echo that statement. I watched it once in the cinema, and I have subsequently watched it for this podcast. Uh, second full disclosure element, it's like the Levinson inquiry in here, isn't it? And um, second disclosure is that I'm a massive, massive fan of the graphic novels. Right. Okay. It's a. Re- it's an interesting. I mean, so uh, we're coming at it then from two different angles because you obviously know the graphic novels so well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I only I'm only familiar with the film. I've not, not the first time I watched it in seven years yeah. was, was yesterday. Around the time of um, the film coming up, Brian Lee O'Malley actually visited London, and he was in Gosh uh, comic shop. Right. Yeah, and I was like, I turned around to my to my girlfriend and was like, we have to go. My, my girlfriend's like <laughs> the least comic booky person in the world, yes. and it was <laughs> her, her walking into Gosh was like Nicholas Angel walking into Stanford. <laughs> honestly, everyone just kind of looking, realizing she's an outsider. And um, <laughs> and a woman. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true enough. But, uh, but anyway, so we queued up to, and I took all my Scott Pilgrim graphic novels, like the small ones, um, the original ones, to, to go and get them signed. And uh, we found out that there was a, you could only get three signed. Oh. So I turned around to Hat and was like, we have to pretend that we're not together. Yeah. And I was like, you get the subsequent four, five and six signed for me. I'll get one, two and three. So anyway, I got it signed by Brian Lee O'Malley. I'm there gushing like, I love the books. I love the books. And he's like, thanks, thanks very much. Hat turned around. I have no idea who this bloke is. Hands the books and he was like, oh, what's the name? She goes... Christopher, and he turned around and went, are you getting them signed for him? She went, yep, and that was it. That was, that was the only conversation they had. She, he signed the books, he gave them, and that was it. There was no like, cordiality. There was, the, there was no kind of like prestige of the situation. No. You get them signed for him? Yep, yep. thanks, cheers, yep. that was it, gone. I have no idea who you are. Yeah. yeah. So, so, it, so from my perspective, it's a, it's a real curio of a film, mm. and which, which I think was, was sort of echoed in, in its financial returns. It sadly, yeah, it it sadly bombed. bombed. It, yeah. If I were to sum out the plot very quickly, Scott Pilgrim is this Toronto native, native played by uh, Michael Cera. He is in a band. Who was riding still high from like the super bad mm. and all that kind of stuff, you know. He's, he's in a band with his, with his high school mates. He's in his early 20s. What's the band's name? The Sex Bobbons. Bob yeah. <laughs> We are sex bombs. Uh, Alison Pill, by the way, is great. I think she's. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about the supporting cast for this in a bit. Anyway, so so he 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 um he dreams about this woman called Ramona Flowers, and then meets her in real life, and and starts dating her, and, and she's the woman of his dreams. However, the one catch is he now has to fight her seven evil exes to win her heart. And they've all been kind of they've this league has been created by the most nefarious of them. Her most recent ex, Gideon. Gideon is it Gideon, Gideon Graves? Graves, yeah. Wonderfully alliterative name. But the I mean and and adding an element of the element of surreal to the whole thing is that it, he has to fight them like video game fights. The whole world, the Toronto it, that's presented is almost an AU version of Toronto, isn't it? Where it's kind of basically like an eighties arcade game. Yeah. You know? It's like the Tekken style and all that yeah. kind of stuff that we know and love. It's take, and and, it, it, and that comes from Brian Lee O'Malley's like inspiration for the books, as I understand it. It's very mm. much like, what if people could fight like you could in Street Fighter? There's loads of things and, like that in the t- in the, the the texts are very knowing. So like, and and that's drafted into the film. Mm. It's like, for example, when he goes to the bathroom, you have a P meter comes yes, up almost yes. like a life, and he's like, like yeah. it's kind of little As Mario bladder, Yeah. Yeah, so um, that is very well translated from text to screen, which I can't say everything is. Mm. I do think that quite a lot is lost. And part of that is because Edgar Wright has squished a six-book saga. Because this is the whole It's the whole damn saga. Into one Because Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is just actually one volume of the Scott Pilgrim saga. Uh, They take that moniker, uh, which becomes an umbrella, for all of the books, which are then sucked into this kind of what? 
hour and 40 film, something like mm. that, hour and 50 film. So, I mean, is it a good adaptation? It's a good adaptation, but it amputates too much. Right. It, it, and, and it suffers from that picaresque nature that The World's End does, where it's like, right, we'll wait for another boyfriend, then there's another boyfriend, and then there's yeah. another boyfriend. Whereas in the texts, you have the whole volume to luxuriate in with Scott. Of course. Get to know him and the supporting characters a lot more, and then a, a boss or a boyfriend will turn up every now and then. Yeah. yeah there is a, Actually, I, mean, I should say X, as Ramona Flowers does. It's all a yes. uh, case of semantics, um, an evil X. But it was... I, 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 remembered it, I remember enjoying in 2010. I remember coming out of in 2010 thinking, well, that was a bit weird. It was, yeah. That's not. It wasn't a bad weird. Well, it's an epic of epic epicness, Dan. That's the thing. <laughs> Quite. That's the thing about Scott Pilgrim. Watching it again this week, it's still very weird. Mm. I think your I think word I've... of curio is such yeah, a great word it, it, for it. And this is it. And this is something that Edgar Wright continues to show. And I'll talk about this again with Baby Driver later on in the in the podcast. There is his 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 imagination is is truly something to behold, and you see it played out on the screen. Yeah, it's. it's I don't know how many people could have taken that source material. And handled it quite as well as he does. It's just him, really. And that's why when uh, Ready Player One was announced, which is a novel that Steven Spielberg is adapting, yes. that, yeah, yeah. that doesn't that treads the same path with different feet. Okay, mm. Ready Player One and Scott Pilgrim both share this adoration that their respective authors have for the 80s video game stuff, whilst kind of you know yeah, they go yeah, off yeah, yeah. on different tangents and things but that's why i was thinking when i read ready player one and that's another great novel that you should definitely go and read i thought edgar wright would be brilliant to direct this as well because you're right he's one of maybe i don't know a few directors that are able capable to do this stuff mm. he's so it's because he lurks at the peripheries of mainstream <laughs> his films are all made for a mainstream audience but it's because they take bits from them rather than present the whole thing yeah, that's yeah. probably why scott pilgrim bombed because it's both like well, and bombed. Un- yeah, bombed, yeah. But it both is both like and unlike anything else you've seen. Hmm. It's a weird kind it of works, it's, it unfortunately of wor- It unfortunately works against it, but also, yeah, I think it works against it, actually works for it. I, I love it because it's such a curio, and mm. I think it's, it's such an interesting example of, of film and a great example of a filmmaker's journey. Yeah, but at the, the same time, vernacular. Yes. At the same time, Obviously, amazing. More a lot of people out there be like, "What the fuck is this?" Did you enjoy it more or less than the first time you watched it for the podcast? I mean, I, I honestly can't say. I mean, I feel it. it, it I can. It, it was it was seven years ago that I first. I mean, like I say, I, I remember liking it. Mm. I remember bits of it. I I think I came out the first time and I was just in in love with Ramona Flowers, with Ramona yeah. Flowers myself. So yeah, you know, watching it again. I, I think, as I said, I touched earlier on the supporting cast. I think. Again, here we have a very, again, another very imaginative script, mm. very technically well-made film, visual gags galore, and I guess the video game element really lets him go, you go wild on the visual gags. But even you know, And the nerdgasms that follow. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole scene played out um, like a sitcom, introduced with the Seinfeld theme, and then you've, I mean, you've got... Uh, I can't even begin to imagine. It probably rivals only A Fistful of Fingers for the amount of popular culture references, but they're mm. all throwaway, and that's kind of what I like about Scott Pilgrim is that it doesn't linger for a laugh, if that makes sense. You know like how a stand-up comedian will deliver a really good yeah, joke yeah. and wait for the, for the laugh to ensue? This one's already, like Arrested Development and Airplane and all that kind of stuff, it's too busy machine-gunning out the next joke. We spoke about it similarly with something like the Lego Batman movie. There yes. are just so, so many it, gags yeah. per moment. It is that machine-gun approach to, to humour. And, and, but it, it really works in its... 
in its favour. Um, and no one, I don't think, I think there's one scene that I, I had forgotten about in, in the first time I saw it. Um, I don't think anyone captures that feeling of, uh, the, the breakup feeling you get when you're breaking up with someone when you're young mm. and it's because you've got someone else lined up. It's a, I mean, it's a very unique sort of situation. But that whole sequence where he, he dumps knives in the reference shop yeah. and then it goes all to black and and he's on the bus back and he looks a little bit depressed because he's just dumped her. But then it, it goes through the sequence where... It's like a whirlwind. It's like, a, it's like it? a, yeah, you know, one of those kaleidoscope, kaleidoscope things. And he's there and he's sort of looking miserable and you see knives and she's looking sad and then it cuts to him again and actually he's looking quite happy. And then it, it stops cutting to knives and knives turns into Ramona and, and he ends with him on the bus and grinning. And it's like, that is... Such a great way of showing. I mean, yeah. I'm not describing it very well. You no, no, but I know what you but, you know, mean. and I don't. I think Edgar Wright captures that feeling perfectly, perfectly on film. But that's because he, he's such a, as you said, right from Fistful of Fingers. He's a visual storyteller mm. in, in its best possible way. Like he, it's nice to see someone have such a distinct visual style and just enjoy putting images up on the big screen a lot of the time and we've spoken about like marvel films and stuff like that where everything feels exactly the same and that probably feels a little bit more timely in the conversation that we're it's having so all i keep thinking about talking about these films is with, what would edgar wright's ant-man, ant-man would have been like. and i agree and it's lovely to to see someone just enjoy putting things up and even like the special effects where this wasn't a big tentpole studio film no. he must have probably been quite conservative with in budgets and things like that, yeah, to be yeah. able to make something look so visually interesting, I don't think the effects have necessarily dated in seven years in other films that are quite you know comparable yeah. at the time. No, no, it, it, it works I enjoyed it a lot more this time than I did in 2010 because I think 2010 was around the height of my Scott Pilgrim initial obsession. Right. I remember I was serendipitously in New York for when the final Scott Pilgrim book came out, and I queued at midnight at the Midtown Comics. Right. just outside Times Square, and I was queuing with all of these huge Scott Pilgrim fans. So as I say, I was a big, big fan of Scott Pilgrim, and I think I couldn't help but compare the film and be there like, this does feel like the Coke Zero version of the books. You know, it's enjoyable, it's still basically Coke, but it doesn't have any of those yummy calories to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have all of the other stuff that's so poppy. But no, no, I do, I mean, and I want to touch on very briefly... The rest, you know, outside of Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who were both excellently cast. Yeah, um, I like Michael Sarah. I don't think he gets the props. No, that he and I know. Like, I, was, I was reading through some old reviews of this film, and yeah. there's some criticism of Michael Sarah and, really? and talking about how the film itself was quite juvenile and not, you know, and Edgar, Edgar Wright sort of, he, he, um, it, 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 it's too good, right? You know, it kind of climaxes at the beginning, and after that, it's all a bit. Mm. Awful, but no, but, but the, he's no. Michael Sarah is very good. I don't think it's juvenile. I just think it's entertaining. And you know, yeah, it's a slightly weak plot. But he just fights these seven people. But that's because he is effectively day. a graphic novel it's, as well. Yeah. And that's the thing. I know um, this probably is a large conversation about adaptations. But Scott Pilgrim as a story was never intended to be a film. It was always intended to be a graphic novel. Brian yeah. e. O'Malley didn't write a screenplay for it. No, he wrote it as six books. And I think that that's. Very nitpicky, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, but very he's nitpicky. very good. Um, Kieran Culkin needs to do more. I don't know why Kieran Culkin doesn't work more. Yeah. Like, he, him as, Wallace. He, Wallace. He's the, spin off. The character Wallace, this, the acerbic housemate, roommate, um, bedmate, yes. <laughs> is 
is just brilliant. I, I loved him. I loved all of his he's, scenes. He's I, exactly I'd forgotten the same in the text how, as well. He uh, realises that character so I'd well. I'd forgotten how good he was. Anna Kendrick there as 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 the younger sister yeah. of the character. All, all the supporting characters. Chris Evans is great. Well, I mean, every every actor brought in to play an ex. The ex, an ex is 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 good. That you've still got again from that technical side of things, from that sort of uh, so just the little nuggets of Edgar Wright's imagination coming through. There is some sort of hint to each ex when he when he battles them. There's like there's a there's a one. Um, in the scene, there's a number one somewhere in the scene where he fights Matthew Patel. There's a there's a big number four in the club when he fight, uh, when he fights Mary Whitman, Brandon Ruth, Brandon Ruth. What happened to Brandon Ruth? Um, the once future. <laughs> I was going to say read uh, Dan's uh, essay on <laughs> Superman Returns for more. Poor old Brandon Ruth. Uh, he has a number three on his t-shirt. <laughs> what happened to Brandon Ruth? Henry Cavill, mate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. He's going to be blunt about it. But there's just you know when he's fighting exes. Uh, five and six, their amps go up to uh, eleven, which is Spinal Tap reference. Uh, Spinal Tap reference, but also yeah, five and six. That, yeah. One of them goes up to five, and one of them goes up to six. Yeah, it's just you know, it's just Edgar Wright once again having a it's little. It's not bit a of... great video game movie in the same way that like uh, The Edge of Tomorrow. Remember that film that we loved? <laughs> you know, it kind of there haven't been many great video game. No, movies. and it but, it but it's because it just uses the mechanics of it, and it's that. That knowing and loving nerdiness that I mm. think people enjoy so much. I think you, if you're going to watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think you need to know. I mean, I went into it the first time around not knowing that was the gist. Oh, okay. Like, so you probably wouldn't have got much from it then. It's like, just weird, yeah. This is just weird. But if you go into it. Because he literally does grab lives, like extra lives and things yeah, like that, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah. And he's like collecting and coins. Just, you know, he gets the like, coins for the bus, doesn't he? Yeah. When he explodes <laughs> them and stuff. Edgar Wright said, uh, was, he was quoted as saying that he very much he approached making the film like a musical. So, you know, yeah, everything's sort of more or less normal. And then whenever there's a musical number, or in this case, a fight sequence... Oh, that's a really fascinating part. It just kind I mean, of segues in quite smoothly. There's no and it does, doesn't it? Yeah. You're right. That's why you've got to... But in the same way, when you go to see a musical, that you've got to just embrace the fact that every every few minutes someone's in going to burst into song. Mm. Here, you just go in, you embrace the fact that there are going to be these weird video game style, yeah. 80s video game style uh, smackdowns. Mm. And then things will just, you know, people are, people are dying, and then people just carry on as normal. Like, yeah, Because you know, they've he's turned been, into coins. He's been turned into coins. On with your day. Uh, if you just embrace that, and let it wash over you, as that's the film that's the film you're watching, it's, a, it's an incredibly enjoyable experience. Agree. Should we, should we sex Bob Bobby? Success. Uh, I'm going to give it three, because yeah. it's not perfect. As an adaptation... It's a loving one and a yeah. good-natured one and everything's been done with the best intentions. But that kind of... The amputations and the squishing of those six books into one film that's below two hours mm. um, is probably one that's a little bit too brutal. Yeah. Uh, but but I do enjoy what's presented. And as I said, we are champions of the three Bob films. It's an enjoyable couple of hours and uh, and it earns its place in the Edgar Wright canon. I, I completely agree with you. For all those reasons, it's a, it's a three from me as well. It's a strong three. I enjoyed it more than The World's End if we're going to look at relativity. I agree, yeah, yeah relativity. It, it, yeah. If we're going to look at relativity, although I don't want to dwell too much on that. <laughs> yeah, but it is, we don't it's, understand, a, yeah. it's a strong three Bob film uh, for all those reasons you said. I think, I, I do think people who aren't aware of the source material and aren't willing to take it at face value are going to struggle with it. Yeah. And I, you know, in the same, you could say similar things about Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, you know, outside of the UK, outside of this sceptered aisle, yeah. who is going to get all the nuances of those films and the gags and the, and the, and the, and the you know, Little subtle jokes. It's, it's about ones for the British. These are films for but the aficionados, those, aren't they? Where are those films were like, well, 
everyone in Britain's going to get this. This is hilarious to UK audiences, and that's fine. Mm. If you're just going to make a film that's sort of good for Scott Pilgrim fans, an entirely different thing. It's not as accessible. It's so niche, yeah. Um, and that, I think, does... Uh, interesting companion piece slightly. with um, Ready Player One, which either comes out, is it this year, at the end of this year, or next year? I or thought something. it was next year. Yeah, well, whenever that comes out, I think there'll be interesting companion pieces. So, yeah, but but still, again, as I say, worth worth a watch. It's... And do read the books. Like, that's to you and the audience. They're uh, all fabulous. I will, I will hunt them down and actually read them properly this time. Okay, so we are finally here at the world's end, Dan. Fine. Again? <laughs> Three Bob. Three Bob. <laughs> Still, yeah, yep. definitely. Uh, no, we're Good here. See you at, next month. <laughs> at Baby Driver. At Baby, Baby Driver, Driver yes. which comes out on Wednesday, the 28th of June in the United Kingdom. It was brought back all the way from August, brought forward, so a clear uh, show of confidence. Mm. Uh, we uh, managed to see it at a preview screening, didn't we? We did. Uninvited, we snuck in. <laughs> yeah. No, literally, they were segregating the audiences, weren't they? They, they had did, a, they yeah, had a main like, screening. It was like were, uh, <laughs> South Africa in the 1980s or whatever, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so have that picture out central with your 18 quid tickets. Anyway, so we went saw it. Yeah, we've seen it already, and um, at time of recording, it's coming out. Uh, are we spoiling or are we not spoiling? I don't think we should. I, I don't want to spoil. Too okay, much. no spoilers. The podcast will be released before the film. Yeah, so, so no spoilers. No spo- you can enjoy this. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll scream spoiler if we're going to say anything spoilery. Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Sose. <laughs> <laughs> you prick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with it. Yes. Baby Driver, this is plot. Uh, the plot of Baby Driver. A Nothing to do with Baby Boss or whatever that was, or Boss Baby the bo- or whatever The Boss Baby. Nothing to do Alec with Ball's that. Animation. Which has a sequel coming. It was so successful it got a sequel. Yeah. Uh, Four more years. Jesus Four went. more years. <laughs> so Baby Driver, the plot. Baby Driver, the plot. Follows, uh, it's a f- funny version of Drive, essentially. <laughs> you know, that, in a nutshell, that's what it is. A lighter, a lighter. It's a lighter, lighter more comic trip. version of, of Drive. Um, yeah, Ansel Elgort, which I find is a difficult name I'm, to say. I'm not going to say it, so can you say it again? <laughs> Ansel Elgort. Yeah, he's the lad from Play, Fault in Our Stars, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he was in the Fault in Our Stars, he's his upcoming, he, he was nearly Han Solo, but lost out to the also strangely monikered Aldrin Elder. Eld, Eld, Can't say his name at all. You know what, I have no idea. Yeah. The guy who's playing Han Solo. <laughs> so meticulously researched, so tight to this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> this, is why, this is why you keep coming back. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he that pl- fella. He, he plays, he plays a, a lad called Baby, Baby uh, who is a getaway driver for Kevin Spacey's nefarious, nefarious crime lord. Yeah, he's like an um, architect of heists, isn't he? Yeah, so it's a heist movie with lots of cars and uh, it's a heist car chase robbery, movie, is what it is. And it's you know high octane and all that, that. but it's also a musical. Really? Yeah, we hard. should say that Baby is suffering from tinnitus, and that's the kind of the quirk of the film, isn't it? He's suffering from tinnitus, and so has multiple iPods with multiple playlists yes. of various idiosyncratic tracks to de- to drown out the tinnitus. Yes, but he also soundtracks each heist personally, bespokely with yeah. said playlists. And there's little moments in the film where he sort of gets people to stop doing what they're doing and and actually you know, restart the track. So he can restart the music, and he goes right now, go, and it's yeah. all he times everything to to these music. And the film was shot like that. Edgar Wright filmed scenes with... The, he'd already got the track that he wanted ahead of time. So he choreographed it choreographed it. each of the scenes to that piece of music. I think that's thinking. kind of like what old uh, Mad Max Fury Road did then as well, didn't he? I think mm. that was what really? Junkie XL to create this visual opera, I think, was what, what it was saying. It's, yeah. it's an interesting approach 
And I mean, obviously people do, I mean, that's how people film music videos, but very well, rarely do you see it done. I don't know what you're going to go into. Yeah, say, like very rarely do you see it done for an entire feature film. Because this film was born out of yeah. a music video, wasn't it? Yes, that he directed a few years He directed a, a music video and then kind of got this idea. And mm. Fun fact, know. there is a clip of the music video in the film. I did not know that. Excellent. In one, in one of the scenes where they're flicking through TV channels. Fascinating. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I didn't know that at all. That's great. Uh, this is his first original American piece then, isn't it? Yes. It's something that isn't an adaptation of something else. It's just a pure Edgar Wright film. Yeah, and it is very Edgar Wright. It's 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 Americanized. It's sort of the Ameri- you know it's the American version of Edgar Wright, but it's still Edgar Wright. I mean, you don't have there's no there's no Simon Pegg, there's no Nick Frost, there's no no British actors at all. I don't think. It, they, um, I mean, the, what a cast that he's assembled, though. You know, mm. he's got that lad whose name <laughs> he must never be named <laughs> on the podcast because he can't because we can't say it. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is there. Jamie Foxx, John Hamm. Lily James, who yeah. is actually British. Yeah, she's British, yeah, so yeah. forget what I just said about there being no British people in it. That was a, that was a fault, but she does a cracking American accent. And she both sings and talks in, which is uh, <laughs> was a nice affectation, I thought. Uh, who else is in there? Uh, John Bernthal is in there for a little while. Just for a couple of minutes, yeah. Um, I think he makes it onto the UK poster, which I thought was a little disingenuous, because he's only in it for about three minutes. But I guess they got, you know... If you don't know, they've got to get all those punishers. Everyone loves in. the punishers. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for a bit more. And I'm going to, I'm going to mangle this name, but uh, rounding out the sort of heist crew is um, an actress called Eiza Gonzalez. Okay, um, did that better than I. I don't know if it. that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it. Um, sorry, Ms. Gonzalez, if I have indeed. Female solicitors will be involved shortly. <laughs> Please, you know, email with the correct pronunciation. So it's a great. Po- I was just looking at the poster actually on my phone. It's a great poster. Sorry. <laughs> Again, me, me incorporating the visual aids into a podcast. This, this podcast means nothing anymore, doesn't it? It's, just, it's a conversation between me and you, and if it's recording, it's recording. It's, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. What, what it's We're what recording. It's it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the red light seems to be on. on. It's got red know. on your screen. Oh, dear, he's got all the jokes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Baby Driver then. So what do you think of it? Like, what, what kind of thing um, is buzzing? As I say, I mean, again, once more, showing this level of imagination and innovation... That very rarely do you see from people. I don't know. I don't, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe I've not seen the right films. But well, I don't see. Right films. Hey, um, <laughs> oh, that's three for three. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I wish this was the end of the world. <laughs> I think it is. I think we're living we're through on, it. We're on the cusp. I think we're living through it now. Um, it, it, it. There is no one. I don't know. There's no one. I. No one I've seen. No one. No one's films I've seen that are as innovative and imaginative as Edgar Wright films. I enjoy, you know, even if you know, I give them three bob, mm. they're always yeah, you're there's right. something about e- them. Even if the film doesn't work as a whole, you still can't take away the sheer imagination of it. You know, like it's, um, I don't know if you watched that show Rick and Morty. Have you seen that? I've seen, yeah. Of, yeah. That, and that's another, I, th- I kind of put them in the same bracket, is that even the episodes that don't necessarily tick all the boxes, you're still like, do you know what? I've got a decent 20 minutes of entertainment there. Yeah. Like, uh, the sheer balls out imagination of these things mm. is unright. I mean, th- th- there right. are, just the way, the, the fact to go back, I mean, this is the big thing about Baby Driver, I think, that, I, that some people might miss mm. if you're not looking out for it or if you don't notice it. But, so much of it, 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 it's so finely choreographed and tightly edited to the track that is playing over the scene. The, uh, work, the, the work that must have gone into doing that is incredible. I imagine he was up The, con- the conversations <laughs> he must have had with, with editors and the music supervisors and just, just the sheer level of, of the, the attention to detail, the sheer level of work that would have had to go into that is, is, is 
knackering. Boggles my mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I edit videos for a living, and yeah. I just it, it it's insane. Yeah. Um, but it, say, I mean, you're talking yourself out of a job here. Yeah. yeah. But it works so well. It it's, does. It, they, they, he and pulls it comes back it to this, pulls it this poetry of his visual storytelling mm. technique, isn't it? And this is perhaps him working at the height of his powers. I think the Baby Driver really is. Uh, it, it, it highlights both the 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 gifts that Edgar Wright bestows upon us. It does show some of the curses that he's picked up along the way, though. Uh, I, again, I don't want to spoil it too much here. Can I tell you what my big fundamental problem with Baby Driver is? Please do. It's and... the final third of the film, which I feel just goes completely off the track um, to send a metaphor. Uh, it, it doesn't end at all well for me. And, and it all goes a bit, when, after it all goes a bit postal. Everything sort of. goes, yeah, as things go wrong within the universe, they begin to go wrong as the film yes. unfolds. There's a lot of things that happen that you feel like they, 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 you're, you're pushing my sense of believability you know, here yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he really does push it to the maximum here he, he, like would these characters actually do that well there's one character and that's why and the whole reason I said to you at the beginning is oh, are we going to spoil this film now now, fortunately there is an, a, a huge well not huge but a, an ensemble piece isn't there mm. like so it, if I say to you that one particular character's actions jar and judder so heavily that it threw me back out of the film yeah and the way that they their, their character turns on a dime in the final third ruined the film for me completely and I will say that but as far to say is that it ruined that mm. final part and then another character does exactly the same thing and at that point I was kind of like mm, it, things have gone a little bit awry here it doesn't take away from the film as an overall but no. in the same way that what the world's end which just loses it towards the end Baby Driver unfortunately follows the exact same pattern I completely agree there was something about that ending that didn't quite work that yeah, that, that, I mean, and particularly, I, I think I didn't end. It didn't end how I thought it should end. Mm. Maybe that, I mean that's incredibly selfish of me. But I, I uh, kind of agree with that. As an audience member, you still feel like it wasn't one of those. It, it things had to where, go wrong, didn't where it? Where the carpet but, is pulled, and you're like, "Oh wow, brilliant! What a twist!" It yeah. was like, "Oh, that's the end, is it?" Yeah. Well, you know. but, I mean, it, it had to go wrong. Yeah, but I just felt like I've been shortchanged by it in yeah. that way. But I mean, as I say, you're right. It doesn't take away from the fact that it is a very, very good. Yeah, and there's film. Lo- lots of things and, are brilliant about the film. You know, when I was watching it, mm. I I was wondering, and at this point, I hadn't gone back and started watching all the other ones for mm. this podcast. See, I'd watched I was the thinking, Cornetto trilogy by the time we'd seen it. I was thinking about Edgar Wright as an action director because this, this this is a as you said this is a heist film this is a, this is a bank a, there are bank robberies there are car chases it's very high octane are, you know, throughout yeah. I was thinking you know have we seen him do anything like this before and again it's like well you know he probably might have seen it with Ant Man but we'll never see that and, and actually looking back at the you know at these films he, he's uh, so in, in Baby Driver he does do the action incredibly well um, even when it goes complete you know it's like it's shit crazy yeah it's a beautifully directed um, film yeah. And I was thinking, wow, here he is. You know, he's done all the comedy and stuff, and he's done, you know, he's done sci-fi. And yeah, he can do action too, really well. But actually, if you look back at his, at his back catalogue, he's been doing action sequences throughout ages, and, and they're all done. They're all beautifully choreographed. Yeah, he's, a, he's an excellent and, director, and yeah. I think it, there's a, such a. And I tell you what, and I, I know that there are certain publications that I think are somewhat sycophantic towards Edgar Wright, <laughs> but. I will say that he is a director that is able to foster an almost overwhelming level of good feeling towards him. Mm. Because it feels like... Remember Vince Gilligan wrote 
Breaking Bad and Breaking Bad turned into this cultural phenomenon and all these kind of things. And I remember he had this interview where he said, I wrote Breaking Bad because I would love to have watched Breaking Bad. And you feel like Edgar Wright makes films that he would love to go and see. There yeah. is a, such a, a such a, a an adoration and love for this this business we call film that you c- can't help but kind of grin along with what he's doing mm. anyway, even when a, everything's not working. He's brilliantly. a film nerd, isn't he? He's he? a film nerd, yeah. He, he loves He's like film. one of us, but the one that made it, almost. It's like, <laughs> we don't begrudge him. It's like, thanks, lad. You're, you're, you are yeah. representing us. One there, of those you know? many film nerds, that, you know, and I think that a lot of film directors must be film nerds. But he reminds me a lot of Quentin Tarantino in that way. In mm. that, in that, I was going to say, Quentin Tarantino springs to mind as another, you know, as and, another nerd. And that's the thing, that Tarantinoism of taking this variety of enjoyable and sometimes b-side songs and then infusing them within your your Mm. story you know like um unfortunately it is getting mugged a little bit now because it's become mainstream and i I think that sometimes maybe baby driver is has is hamstrung slightly by the works of like the guardians of the galaxy films and the martian you know Mm. whereas they the popular culture references and songs become the heart and soul of the piece Baby Driver actually manages to transcend it somewhat, I, I, I will say. And I think that's through deft choices, you know, for yes. the soundtrack. No, it's, it, it, the whole thing, it, it, it's brilliantly put together. Mm. But yeah, that final third does jar. When you start to look at things a little bit closely, I think things do fall apart a little bit. You know, Jamie Foxx is underused. He essentially just plays the same character that he does in Horrible Bosses. I was going to say, it's, 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 that, it's, uh, yeah. it's Motherfucker Jones. It's Motherfucker Jones. It's Motherfucker but... Jones, but played straight which doesn't necessarily work mm. in the way that it's played out. Uh, as I say, Kevin Spacey, still one of the greatest actors maybe of all time, is is in a cut-and-shut mob boss kind of part. He could do this role in his sleep. And he does, he? doesn't he? <laughs> he basically does do the role in his sleep, you know. And but it's Kevin Spacey. It's Kevin Spacey, it, it, and so it becomes watchable. But as I say, uh, it, there, it, despite its failings, you still come out with the two hours of, of solid fried gold as... Sean and Ed might have put it. Precisely. So... Are we bobbing it? I'll bob it. Go on then. Four bob. Yeah, I'm going to give it four bob as well. Yeah. As I say... Slightly, you know, weak final act, but, but that, ultimately... But that, but we should... And um, relativity has been, the, has, has been the dish of the day. It's such a strong film in those two thirds. Like, that's why it ends up being a four bob film. Yeah. Is that if it had got that final act... Right, this would have been as good as Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. Unfortunately, it doesn't. And it does very, very quickly fall apart to nothingness, really. As I say, yeah. I was very annoyed yeah. by that final third and disappointed. But such is my good feeling for the two thirds that preceded it, that it has to be a four-bob film. So finally then, just to wrap up this first of our specials. Yeah. In the past, when we've looked through the, you know, when we've gone through lots of big films like this, yeah, and all we've ranked them. We've ranked them. We've sort of looked at how we. Um, Blimey, you're going to ask me to rank these now. Aren't I'm not you? necessarily going to ask you to rank them. I, I, <laughs> I would geez, be. I'm, no, I'm not prepared for this. No, no, but I would be curious to know, as I've already said, I, I said earlier in the, in the show, that Hot Fuzz is certainly my favourite of all of them. Yeah, I could probably um, rank them for you if you want me to. I'm just curious to know. No, but I'm curious to know out of the six, which is your favourite? Hot Fuzz. Hot, yeah, right. yeah, with yeah. a bullet. Yeah, I would probably go Hot Fuzz. Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, World's End, and then Fistful of Fingers. That's what. That's you know what? I, I think it. I'd put it in exactly the same order. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, we did well there, then. Yeah. I okay. think that's excellent. Guys, uh, people listening, if you've seen all six or if you've seen a few of them, do let us know what you think. Yeah, usual... bung us an email. Podcast yeah. at oneroomwithaview.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at one room with a view. It's numerical one. 
We're on Facebook, Dan. There's we are. One room with a view, but this time just using the alphabet <laughs> that I'm failing to grasp as we speak. <laughs> English language. <laughs> Maybe you could drop me an email uh, about that. Dear Lord. You're on Twitter as well, aren't you? I am. I'm at Mr. Orton, M-I-S-T-E-R-O-R-T-O-N. And I'm at the press tonight. So we'll see you next month for another proper summer special. Yes. And in between, we're going to be releasing some sort of you know, the, the podcast extra episodes. We're going to keep the contents of those a secret for now. <laughs> How enigmatic of you. But until then, cheerio. <laughs>